As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We've had five days to get over the excitement of Villa. We might revisit one or two aspects of the game. We'll also look forward to another tough away trip to the Midlands as we take on Leicester at the weekend. Uh, We'll take a quick look at squad depth as well as we get into the business end of the season. And with the UK government white paper about men's professional football in this country, uh, they'll do one about the women uh, later on in the year, with this white paper about to be published, we'll go through some of the key points. Uh, we're joined by Amy Lawrence and Art de Roche. Morning. Hiya. Good morning. Hello. Now, uh, we are going to talk about some of the players on the fringes of the squad. Uh, so we thought we'd talk about haircuts. <laughs> uh, who's cut? Yeah, I mean, we were going to say the best hair in the current Arsenal squad, but the truth is the current Arsenal squad... They've all got decent hair. They're young men. Of course, they got decent hair. So we'll go through uh, a bit further back as well. Any haircuts that are notable? Art, notable haircuts in the Arsenal squad, past or present? Oh, I, I may have misread because I was just oh, thinking yeah. the current, current well, squad. Current. Um, it's fine. Which is a little bit annoying because the current squad's probably quite bland if you're looking across yeah. their hairstyles. Um, of course, they've got young men's. They've all paid like £150 to some ridiculous hairdresser for a haircut <laughs> and they all look pretty much the same, yeah. but uh, pick one. I had two from the current squad, either Rob Holden for obvious reasons uh, yes. uh, or Martin Erdegaard because actually looking at his hair, it's actually quite well kept. So um, uh, yeah, those are my two picks. If I uh, thought about more ex-players, I probably could have had a better answer, but... No, Rob Holding's a good answer, I must say. Martin Erdegaard, he has got well-kept hair. You'd, you'd expect that from the captain. But uh, <laughs> Rob Holding, we all know about his uh, his hair issues. So, uh, uh, nice. Amy, what you got? Well, if we're talking about the current squad, I'm going to go completely against uh, Art's suggestion for well-kept hair. And I think my favourite is probably the only one with a little bit of personality, which is Tommy Asu, who's got this kind of scruffy, slightly... <laughs> um, yeah, Indie. Yeah, indie, that'll suit it? me more. I There's think... too many sensible haircuts. It's boring. Going back to the old days, I, I, you know, I loved, always love looking at those old photos of the 1930s players with their brill creamed centre parting, 
you know, we <laughs> Alex James and, uh, 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 and the rest. That was that was good. And then kind of fast forwarding uh, Charlie George's kind of Neil from the Young Ones hippie, long lank look. Uh, I thought always was quite cool, really. <laughs> well, they used to sing "I Wish I Could yeah. Be Like Charlie George," didn't they? And I always—I I think I remember writing once: all the all the boys wanted to be Charlie George, and all the girls wanted to be with Charlie George. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I want to be like Charlie George. He scared the living daylights out of me, to be <laughs> honest with you. But I also knew which school he went to, and that the people from that school scared the living daylights out of me. But that's another story altogether. Um, uh, no one, of course. You, neither of you mentioned Freddie Lundberg, um, which is obviously the most famous haircut, I think, in Arsenal history in the sense that we all sang about it uh, as well. We also sang about Steve Bolt's hair, though, remember? Well, lack of. Yeah, but it was still, it was still <laughs> yes. a chant very much based on his look. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, if you, you can actually uh, search on the internet uh, bad Arsenal haircuts, and there's a top ten, because uh, I just had oh, a go look. Go on, what is it then? Uh, Quite interesting. I mean, presumably it's subjective. So what are the bad It images? is. Yeah, Ray Parler's in there. I, I mean, I don't know particularly why. Uh, Freddie Lundberg's in there. Uh, Jovino, yeah. uh, of course. Jovino is in there. Um, my personal uh, favourites uh, from that, uh, Cesc Fabregas with the most outstanding mullet you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. I mean, proper mullet. And... Um, the one, I think the one that stood out was Marouane Shamak, uh, to be honest with you. There was a whole sort of, there was a mullet, there was a lot of hair gel, tremendous amounts of hair gel. It was all sorts going on there. Uh, and um, yeah, he got number one out of the, the worst haircuts of all time. Uh, Alex Song and, and uh, Manuel Almunia get honourable mentions as well for the blondness. Uh, <laughs> anyway... James wrote a piece about squad depth. Um, one thing he did point out, Arsenal ended the game at Villa on Saturday with Fabio Vieira, Eddie Nketiah, Jorginho, Takehiro Tomiyasu, Rob Holding and Kieran Tierney on the pitch. And he pointed out that none of these six would be selected in Mikel Arteta's preferred 11. Uh, Amy, do we need to maybe reconsider a little bit when it comes to squad depth and maybe there's a bit more than we're talking about, than we thought maybe that we had? Or are these very much players to come on with 10 minutes to go and, some of them, come on with 10 minutes to go and get you a draw? No way. No? I just couldn't, couldn't disagree with that more. I think that the longer the season goes on and the longer the challenges become more intense, the more imperative it is to have that capacity to lean in on those on the fringes. Um, and to start some of them as well? Absolutely. When I say lean in, that might mean playing a start. That, that might be coming on early in a game. That might be coming on for the last two minutes. Um, I think that you cannot underestimate the value of those players. And I remember one of the things that when I had the good fortune to write the book about the Invincibles, and it was about 10 years later, so they all had plenty of time to kind of look back on, uh, on it rather than talk about it at the time. But it was a really critical theme that everybody from Arsene to pretty much all the players spoke about as if it was a, a you know a genuine foundation stone of what they were able to achieve and although most people can name their sort of essential sort of uh, 442 first choice uh, invincible lineup fairly quickly when you actually look at the stats there's a lot of players that played considerable 
um, number of games or important matches, who it's a bit rough to call a fringe player, actually, in some ways. But what they all talked about, and it's something that I think you can sort of recognise in this squad from when we read body language and so on in the vast majority of cases, is it's a particular and special skill for a manager and a squad to make everyone feel involved all the time. Because it's natural that if you're not really the one that's getting picked, you might have some negative thoughts. And it takes effort and kindness and humanity to make sure that everybody feels included, valued and ready all the time. And some of those, like even Edu, who was, you know, most people would consider a little bit down the pecking order to Gilberto, Ray Parler, who played a lot but wouldn't have been first choice ahead of, say, Freddie Jungberg um, or Pires. Uh, they still played plenty of games, and that goes for quite a lot within that squad. Carnu, for example, players of that quality. Um, Van Wilt as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they even talked about how they appreciated that feeling of, which a lot came from Arsene, of making sure those guys didn't feel like second-class citizens in the squad. And when you look at Mikel and you look at these players and you look at the squad, it, it feels strikingly similar in vibe. Not 100%, so obviously we're not behind closed doors, we don't know exactly how everyone's behaving generally, but the impression that you get from Colney is that it's good vibes. Kieran Tierney is one people have pointed out, his body language looks a little bit less content maybe than the rest, but otherwise you'd have to say everyone has handled game time you know, extremely well. And you look at the Rob Holdings and there's a reason El Nenny got his new contract, which is linked to this vibe. There are certain players that accept their place in the pecking order and are are happy to be um, there for whenever that, that it's required and to be part of this rather than be part of something else. Um, yeah. That's immensely valuable. And when you look at the games to come, I think everybody's going to have to play a role and those roles might be changeable, you know? And actually, when you try and analyse the whole squad, you're now seeing a bit more variation in terms of who might be able to play where. I mean, Jorginho's here now and has made a, a big impression. If Partey comes back in, is he automatically out? Do you give Granite Xhaka a rest, for example? Or if you're going to give Granite Xhaka a rest, OK, managers don't tend to do that, but you know what I'm saying. Does Fabio Vieira come in? Or Emil Smith-Rowe or Jorginho, offering completely different types of player in that role. So a lot of that kind of debate is applicable across the board when more players are back. So Martinelli, could, you know, might he play central? Might he play left instead of Trossard? Might he be a sub? Might he start? It's probably all sorts of things. It's nice to have some choices. Art, you were nodding along at various points there. No, you were. And and uh, Amy made a number of, of very good Sorry, points. Sorry, I've got to stop uh, <laughs> uh, 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 answering the first question with a 
monologue. Apologies, everybody. No, that was, uh, that, I think that was an average length of time for the first question. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I love that. I've got about 18 points and Amy covers 15 <laughs> of them with the first answer. It's actually great. Um, no, we, no, really, don't apologise. We love, stuff. we love listening to you. It's great. Um, we should get a drunk one time. Uh, <laughs> really? Post-match. <laughs> Post-match. We'll do oh, one. Um, um, uh, if, if Arsenal win the league, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Drunk handbrake off oh coming God. your way in May, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Art, if only, where can we uh, bite off some Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Art, uh, like I say, a number of points there. Kieran Tierney's mood. I mean, what do people really know? They see a bit of, they see a couple of pictures of him looking slightly slump-shouldered or not as happy as everyone else, and they they have this they extemporise. They have this whole idea. Is that the right word? They have this whole idea of of what uh, is is going on in his head. We don't know. No, and it's quite um, interesting because I feel sometimes just that maybe like a two, three, five-second clip people can almost laser into that and try and pick out what they want to but it's it's very I guess a personal thing and it's quite I think if you look at how Kieran Tierney is as a person not just a player he's quite introverted anyway so I don't really feel too I guess what what's the right word uh, concerned I, yeah I don't feel too concerned about that just because as a person, we've all seen, I guess, the proof that he is quite introverted compared to other people, let alone players. And if he's upset with uh, not, I guess, starting as much as he wanted to, he's justified in that. Obviously, Zinchenko has been playing really well, but every professional is going to want to play. So you can understand if he is feeling a certain way about it. But yeah, as... Amy mentioned the squad as a whole isn't really ref- a reflection of that particular emotion. So, sorry, the the bell's just gone. That was your daughter. yeah. It was basically someone saying that's enough. It's back to Amy yeah. at this point. To be honest <laughs> with you, really, we haven't had hot water for about three weeks. So, oh, um, no. So yeah, no. hopefully. Dressing gown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Can you imagine Kieran Tierney's face if he was sat where you are with no hot water for three weeks? Um, uh, let's talk Let's talk about Fabio Vieira then, uh, Amy. As I saw a lot of, not a lot, certainly some negativity. He can't cut it in the Premier League. He's not ready. He's too small, the rest of it. I know what you said at the start of the season that Edu had said, you just don't worry about his size. He's a fantastic player. Are we starting to see little moments now as he feels more integrated with the squad? Hopefully. I mean, it's yeah. needed. So uh, I, th- I think that that it would be ideal if we can look back on that the contribution uh, at Aston Villa and his cleverness in producing the chance with an absolutely perfect ball and his enjoyment of it, which was obvious, and see that as something that kind of catapults him onto a new level. But I, I'm still quite excited about the prospect of Emile Smith-Rowe coming back. Yeah, You know, he's now fit and he's now in this integrated back in the squad. He was on the bench. And I don't think it should be a given that if you want to bring on, you know, a creative uh, attacking player for an option late in games that it is necessarily Vieira. They're not quite the same player. No. And, you know, but it's all hands to the pump. So the more uh, are ready to, and there's competition even off the bench for them to come and 
make a difference, then that only can help Arsenal scores. And this versatility that players that, that Mikel Arteta wants in his players uh, are, this has surely got to help in terms of players getting opportunities. Because you know, if you've got someone who's just just replacing, say, uh, uh, Thomas Partey, and if Thomas Partey's fit, he's playing. They're not going to get any games. Whereas if a player can play in a number of positions, Jorginho possibly could come in for uh, for Granite Xhaka as well. Emil Smith Rowe can come in in a number of positions. This is what you want uh, if if you've got uh, a deep squad, right? Definitely. And you see, I think probably the Villa game that was, I'd argue, as Arsenal's strongest bench of the season, um, and that's not with everyone fit. So you'd hope in a few weeks or so that it's even stronger. And Emil Smith-Rowe is probably, I guess, the best example of that versatility because you can play him off the left. You can play him in midfield as, I guess, the mirror image of Martin Erdegaard on the kind of left eight. Sorry, my my nose is just terrible. <laughs> and I know you guys could hear it and we're trying not to laugh. We could, we um, could hear it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going yeah, on in your house um, at the moment. Yeah. But um, yeah, so... For me personally, he's the one that I'm most excited to see back because we've seen how well Arsenal have played throughout this season without him, where he was, I'm not even going to say arguably, he was their most influential player in the calendar year of 2021, in my opinion. Yeah. So to have him back, I, I feel like once he's back kind of fit and properly matched sharp, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to start uh, a number of games come coming to the end of the season, especially if we're talking about Shaka looks tired and stuff like that. So he's the one that I'm most looking forward to. But um, definitely when you look at that bench now, if you're saying Trossard can play across the front three, also looking at the uh, defence as well, Tomiyasu, Tierney as well in the Europa League, it's going to be massive. So yeah, um, it, it all helps. I think um, the other thing to bear in mind is, yeah, it's a result that it was the strongest bench. You know, that's really fantastic. But I mean, realistically, there were, you know, the chances are that some people are going to get injured as well. I don't think that this current uh, collection plus Jesus are going to sort of miraculously be fit and uh, ready to go for every game. And plus, you look at the fixture list and suddenly there's midweek games coming up every week, which it hasn't been like for quite a lot of the season. So... It, 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 it's hard to overstate how important it is that, that as many players can stay kind of uh, on form and ready to go because I think I think they will all be needed. One player who's almost certainly not going to play again this season but got a new contract was Mo El Nenny. Uh, contract extension to next summer. This, Amy, is what you're talking about, really, this humanity and this empathy, really. Um the way that Mo is in the squad, obviously he's very well loved. He's loved by the fan base as well. Um, I, I mean, I've I read a whole piece about how, was it you are who wrote the piece about um, Mo um, staying and the fact that it, it then, the rest of the squad then see how he's treated and new players who come in see maybe it wasn't you're looking sorry no i think it might have been jay harris um Ah, because he he covered uh one of the europa league games uh when 
Oh, surprise, I was ill. <laughs> um, so well, You haven't had hot water. Yeah. So it, it, everyone understands. But I, the point it was making in the piece was that players in the squad will see how he's been treated. Yeah. Uh, and also players from outside will see how he's been treated. Amy, I mean, this is almost a no-brainer, really, wasn't it? Well, it's, a, a, again, a slightly Wenger-esque move when you look at the contracts he would hand out to, you know, DRB and players with long-term injuries, Wilshire and so on, and try and keep players ha- that he rated as humans as well as as footballers, given every opportunity. And I think that some of that is rubbed off on Mikel in this kind of act because, you know, it would have been fairly easy to... Uh, say, OK, we'll upgrade this particular role um, in the summer. And I think there's a feeling that, again, Mo is very comfortable in in his status at the club. And he, he, he knows that he's not expecting to start every game and he handles that situation as perfectly as possible. I think as much as anything, it was like they weren't, they weren't prepared to treat him badly. As much as it was, we want to treat him well, it's like we're not going to be sort of bastard employers that someone's uh, injured long term and by the time they're back, they're already out of contract. Tough luck, off you go. It just wasn't the way they want to treat people and it's a vibe that I think is about togetherness and unity, which is those classic Arteta watchwords. You look after us. He wants people that are all in and we saw what happened to people who aren't. And this is the opposite of, you know, taking a hard approach to an Aubameyang or an Ozil. This is the kind of total opposite end of that scale. Yeah, quite. Um, Leicester away on Saturday afternoon, not televised in the UK. Uh, although I know, although where you watch, I don't think Arsenal's next three games are televised. Um, where you watch the game, of course, is entirely your business. If you're from <laughs> overseas, congratulations on having having a number of choices to watch the Arsenal. Um, they've got a dangerous front line, and we our defence in the last few games slightly leaky. What are we going to do, Art? How are we going to play it? Just be urgent. Is my main uh, thing going into this. I feel like the three games before Villa and the first half at Villa was quite, I was struggling to put my finger on what the problem was. And then I feel like the first half at Villa just kind of opened my eyes to it. Maybe it's because I was actually in the stadium for that, but I just saw it was way too easy for teams to just stroll up the pitch without any... Well, the press wasn't working, was it? Well, from anywhere. Like, I mean... For the second goal, I, I was looking at Martin Odegaard, waiting for him to do something, and he just stood there and watched. Um, but, and also with Saliba for the first goal, ball comes over the top and he's just watching Ollie Watkins. But in the second half, you saw they were able to do what they have been doing for the first half of the season, where they're actually willing to engage the ball Saliba took the ball off Watkins like three or four times from what I can remember in the second, second half. half. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my main thing. Just be willing to put pressure on the ball wherever it is and suffocate teams like they were doing in the first half of the season. Um, because there was, I guess, that gap between the Manchester United win and the second half at Aston Villa where they hadn't really put teams under real pressure like they had been doing. So that's my main thing because we've seen when they are able to do that, they have really good, I guess, balance 
both with and without the ball. So I'd hope that they're able to kind of take that momentum from the second half against Villa uh, to the King Power Stadium. Amy, anything to add to that before we move on? I think Art's spot on in uh, Mikel's own words. You have to win your duels! (laughs) You know, if you win your 50-50, then we'll be all right. It was almost like Mikel was in the room. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Art de Roche here on Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Um, there's a government white paper which will come out today. Uh, in fact, about uh, English football. The main points to come out of that, and I say this is about the men's game, they're going to do a another report about the women's game, um, but the main points coming out, uh, I mean, one, new test for potential club owners and directors, power to stop clubs joining breakaway competitions such as the European Super League, supporters given a greater say in protecting club identity from changes, for example, names, badges and home shirts, And the government also launching a review of visa system for footballers coming to England. Amy, me and you were at the um, demonstration against the Super League. Art, were you there as well, by the way? I don't know if you Um, were at that. No, I wasn't. Uh, I can't remember where I was, actually. I mean, I mean, it was yeah, <laughs> trying to fix his boiler. I think is what it was. Um, you know, we're laughing, but no hot water is a disaster. Yeah. I couldn't manage three hours, you know, three weeks. Or whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, Amy, me and you were there. That felt like such a big moment. Obviously, it was the first time any of us had been out, really, <laughs> uh, really since the pandemic. I spoke to a Man United fan, by the way, who was at that demonstration, was at the Arsenal demonstration, was telling people he was a Man U fan, and people were going, good on you, mate. Obviously, it was the nearest demonstration to most Manchester United fans. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they don't listen. What does it matter? Um, yeah, I mean, the power to stop clubs joining breakaway competitions, that's a big one, isn't it, Amy? That is a big one, and I think it has to be written down so that people know they can't take the piss, essentially. I think it's going to be interesting to see 
just how watertight this is because I think mm. there might be some challenges. But I think in principle, obviously, sort of the things that they've identified are useful. My my biggest worry with all these things is that when you think about kind of globally about football as a, as a big picture and fan interests and all those things strike a chord with kind of the, the core of what makes you feel an identity to your football club and why it's important. But then there's this thing called money. <laughs> and what we've seen in the last, you know, few decades is that no matter how um, meaningful all the fan sentiments are, that money does have a horrible way of distorting that uh, in terms of influence in the game. I mean, I'm sorry that there's not an element in, in there, for example, which is about the, the amount of money that goes out the game into agents' pockets. You know, that would be quite important to me if you're looking at how the game is run, like, overall. But... You know, obviously, there's a, it's shining a light on things that are, are a concern and are even more of a concern when you look at the amount of um, sort of uh, uh, private equity funds and nation states that are taking over our crown jewel football clubs. Well, the only people who can afford it, though, Amy, aren't they, really? Well, but, but that, exactly. But I mean, I'd also be I would be fascinated to see what they're going to do about the kind of updating the, the uh, fit, and, fit and Proper Persons Act regarding any feel... potential new investor, because God knows how they, uh, how they actually police that. It does but, feel like that ship has sailed, doesn't it, a little bit? Well, exactly. It's, 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 but having said that, obviously, whatever you can do to rein things in um, and keep them as authentic as possible for this beautiful sport of ours is, is welcome. Yes, it is all to the positive. Ah, oh, I mean, I mean that whole demonstration really was was very anti Cronkies. Um, things have changed considerably, haven't they? Do you think that that was a wake up call for them? I always feel like Josh Cronky sort of became a fan mm. on the back of those protests. I think he saw what happened and went. Oh my God! I didn't. I, I didn't really understand. I might be wrong about this, but I didn't. I, I always thought he looked at it and thought I didn't really understand how much these clubs meant to their fans. Yeah, I think it's a fair point in a way, um, particularly with Josh Kroenke, because he has become a lot more, I guess, visible and vocal since then, which is obviously a massive help for him as well as, I guess, Arsenal fans, um, because. Before that, it was radio silence for about 10, 10 years. So Silent Stan. <laughs> silent Stan, exactly. So I think that has probably helped, I guess, bridge the gap before even the performances of this year. So more power to him in that. Hopefully that continues as well. And it's not just a thing of old drastic situations call for drastic measures. Because even when, I guess, the club is success- successful, you'd still want that voice to be heard. But it, yeah, I, I have a similar concern to Amy in terms of just the general, the general look of it, because it almost feels like with some of the points, they're trying to rub out something off a whiteboard that's been written in a Sharpie pen. So I'll be interested to see how effective it actually is. But obviously the actual, I guess, the fact that it's written down now helps. But again, I'm not as over the moon yet as maybe I will be in a few months when we see how well it actually works I mean I don't, I, is anyone over the moon about this I think it's more 
that we just feel like there has to be some regulation. Amy, it's like the Wild West out there, isn't it, really, in terms of club ownership and in terms of the money that is spent. And pretty much anyone seems to be able to buy a football club now. In in some ways, it was ever thus. It was just that the people who were buying football clubs were... um, yeah. Not Toilet quite as rich <laughs> or not quite from uh, so far afield. It tended to be more localised. But you were still at the mercy of whichever local-ish businessman took over your club and what they, you know, how they chose to run it. I'll always remember, um, I mean, I look, you look at Brighton now as a kind of model of how to run a, a, a Premier League club outside of the uh, elite and the super rich. I remember being there on the last day of the Goldstone ground, their old ground, they had about best part of 10 years homeless. They had to play in Gillingham for two years, which was miles away from then, you know, their, their kind of home base. And basically they'd been bought by a, a, a Lancashire businessman who asset stripped them. And there was nothing they could do about it. And he sold the ground and virtually ruined the club. They were on the verge of extinction. And they say, saved themselves through incredible fan action, really exemplary. And they just made so much noise and they were really clever in the way that they brought attention to their plight. And they gave everything they had to save their football club from one guy who was from nowhere near their uh, locality. He wasn't a Brighton fan. He didn't give a monkeys. He bought it on the cheap and he asset stripped it. And, that was and how would plan. you spot that? How would you spot that? Well, exactly. That but I mean, what I'm, but what I'm trying to say is that what we're seeing today is almost a, you know, it's it's just a a, a bigger bastardised version of what was going on in the 80s or whenever, going through the history of football with with different owners. And it's always you you have a phrase which you said that you would try and explain in a maybe less rude way than you normally do, which is something along the lines of all you can hope for with an owner is that your owner is less of a mm, than See you next someone Tuesday. else's. Mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. you know, there is something to that, that, that you, you, you don't know how good it's going to be and you just hope that you get someone benevolent and, and smart and sensible and who cares yeah. and who has the resources and uses them well enough to best support your football club and I do think it's interesting that we're at a a time right now when you barely hear the Cronkies mentioned no and that tells you everything because why is that happening because the team's doing well yeah if a team's not doing well then you look at the ownership and say what the hell's going on here but look Arsenal are at the moment a very happy place with very happy people we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how successful it's going to be. But you'd have to be uh, very stubborn, I think, as a kind of, you know, I think it's everybody's entitled to their own opinion and the people who were very strong cronky out a little while ago may still be cronky out. But are you doing that based on evidence or are you doing that based on this is my stand and I'm not going to change my opinion no matter what happens because essentially it's quite hard to be too critical right now because they have supported the manager when people said it was enough Uh, a couple of difficult moments in the early early uh, uh, years of Arteta they've backed him I think as much as you could reasonably expect it's hard to say they should have 
gone more to town. They possibly couldn't with FFP. And Arsenal are, at the moment, a kind of golden, uh, in a golden state where they're admired across football for what they're doing. And they're doing it really, really well. Amazing. It's only like less than two years since we all stood outside singing We Want Crunky Out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit crazy, really. Um, one person who could add to the happiness if he comes back next season, we don't know, is uh, Flo Balogun, currently ripping it up in uh, Liga. Art, oh, you've written about Balogun. I mean, he's scoring goals for fun. We saw what happened at Brentford at the beginning of last season when he looked a little bit out of his depth. He seems to have grown up and grown uh, uh, as, a, as a character and he's just more powerful. Would you like him to come back and play a major role for us? Personally, I, I, I would. Obviously, it's down to him. So what, what I say at the end of the day doesn't really matter too much. But um, I think what you're seeing in France is he was always very confident, even, I guess, when I did the interview with him a few months ago, you could tell that he was quite assured in himself. But um, what he's got is just the experience, which is valuable, invaluable, sorry, because he's playing against players who are like 30 years old, centre-backs, who, who are going to try yeah. and rough him up. He was roughed up last season at Middlesbrough. I remember watching him at the Den against Millwall, and he didn't get a penalty that he wanted. And for the rest of the game... The Millwall was fans. He sulking? No, the Millwall fans booed him for the rest of the game, and it was yeah. just—it was quite um, funny, not in like a cruel way, but just looking at someone's journey take a few extra step, a few extra steps in front of your eyes. Because I think you saw then he he kind of realised, okay, maybe I haven't faced this before, but I'm just going to have to deal with it and get on with my game. And I think he's done that extremely well in France where there are quite a few hostile grounds and he's shown up uh, at those grounds. Marseille on his debut at the Velodrome, uh, even Lorient, I think, not the game they scored the hat-trick, but the reverse game, or it might have been Lon. Sorry, I can't remember which one, but um, there's a picture where he scores a goal and the fans are literally falling over um, the stands trying to hurl abuse at him. Um, which was quite funny. but And he's enjoying and, it. <laughs> yeah. And obviously Good. he's playing under Will Still, who's probably the most exciting manager of this season across Europe. Uh, he's, not, he's younger than you, isn't he? <laughs> oh. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he, I think he's, he's early 30s, so, right. so not quite, but still very impressive. And the one yeah. thing, I guess, looking at it from the piece that was written last week was he's getting a lot of shots off a lot. So he's not shy. Great. He'll try and make something happen. Um, whether he can do it at Arsenal, I don't know, or whether he wants to do it at Arsenal, I don't know. Um, but my personal opinion is I hope so, because it'll be quite nice and quite, I guess, different to, to be a, a club in the top six, if we want to keep calling it that where two of your strikers yeah. have come academy. from the academy and you haven't paid yeah. a dime or a penny for them. So, I mean, 
Amy, that is the point, isn't it, really? The the academy players, the joy we get from seeing Eddie doing well and seeing Saka doing well and seeing Smith-Rowe doing well. It's a big connection with the fans, isn't it? And, uh, and Balogun would hopefully have the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, obviously the Haaland thing is amazing, but on, on the same token, I think you can love a player from wherever they come from and have True. that connection. Um you know, I don't necessarily love Saliba less because he didn't come through from Hairland, for example. But uh, I just think if he if he can keep improving, it's a it's an absolute humongous bonus for the club, uh, and and hopefully they will all want to give that adventure a, a chance together. I mean, you mentioned Saliba as well. I mean, he had a couple of seasons in Liga and he came back and he looks so, so much better and so strong. There is precedent for this working, isn't there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, I wasn't sure who, who that was for. I, I, um, I just but, I looked at you and I thought, I'll ask <laughs> out, right, Chris. But it, it is quite interesting now. Arsenal seem to be finding places where they, I guess, trust to send players. Um, Usually when you're looking at the first loans, they're looking at the Football League, either the Championship or League One. If you look at Blackpool, they've sent three players there in three seasons. I think they've sent three players to Doncaster Rovers as well in recent years. And now, obviously with France, you've got, obviously William Saliba's the big one, but you can't forget Nuno Tavares, uh, what he's doing at Marseille this season as well. Six goals. <laughs> Which... Uh, if he doesn't have to defend, he's great, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? I made this joke to Amy the other day, but I, I'm not sure I'd class him as a left-back. No. But, yeah, you're seeing maybe... Again, this is something that came up with Balogun as well. He said, like, a lot of people kind of talk down on the French League, but to be fair, a lot of the challenges he's facing are, are quite similar to what he would face in the Premier League so that's quite an interesting thing from his perspective Oh, um, when you met him did, is he speaking French? <laughs> so I asked him <laughs> that side of adaptation Yeah, I asked him and he said he can understand it he'd be able to like survive if he had to live in France but I'm not sure like that he would be able to properly speak it over a period of time, which was interesting because obviously the clip that everyone kind of associates with him and Will Still is the one where Will Still absolutely just rinses him for his French. <laughs> but your French is absolutely shocking, absolutely terrible. But um, yeah. to be fair, I think he, the the one thing he said is he knows that he can understand it because when uh, his teammates are making jokes, he's laughing at the same times as they are. So so that was his kind of uh, indication that he's getting along okay with it. But he didn't want to give me a sentence in French. Absolutely brilliant life experience as well as football experience. You know, you can just see that he will come back having kicked on as a, as a person as well as as a footballer, which is really exciting for him. Well, it is exciting. Um, okay, let's have a song uh, to end. Um I, I was actually thinking, uh, I was trying to think of a song like How Deep Is Your Love, like How Deep Is Your Squad. Uh, 
But anyway, there wasn't one called How Deep. The, uh, the Bee Gees never wrote a song called How Deep Is Your Squad. So I've gone for Way Down, all right? Because that squad now, I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel it's going way down. That's Elvis, of course, Elvis Presley. Uh, way Down. Amy, what you got, song-wise? Well, I, uh, I was inspired by the hair. It's all a bit random steps of separation, but, you know, fringe players' haircuts question uh i've gone for the style council which i presume you'll approve of and shout to the top of course of course i would and art what about you what have you got? uh i'm going for just... we ain't and in the chorus there's a little bit afterwards where they go we ain't Going Nowhere by the game featuring Eminem because uh, I feel like there was a lot of panic last week, which probably isn't here <laughs> this week. Um, no. So yeah, I'm going for that because Arsenal are still there. So yeah. And they ain't going nowhere. I think that's true. Uh, thank you, Art. Thank you, Amy. Thanks to Abby, uh, our producer. And thank you, to you listener uh, I'm Ian Stone uh, enjoy Leicester away at the weekend and this is Handbreak Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic <laughs> <laughs>